Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? It's going all right. We missed a week. We uh, had said that we were going to be back after um, our Christmas episode for New Year's and uh, do some Spider-Man, and unfortunately, that didn't really work out. Um, I can't go to the theater. I'm barred from going to th- going out in public right now. Um, I have to be careful with covid Got a lot of immunocompromised people in my family, so I avoid public as much as possible, except for work. So I was not able to get to the theater to see Spider-Man. Um, regardless, I don't know that there would be many people in the theater, but still I'm playing it safe. In our theater, you normally go to a big blockbuster movie and there's like three other people. So <laughs> so you generally are pretty safe in our theater. But I'm still avoiding it for right now. So that kind of puts a wrench in us doing Spider-Man. So we apologize for not having an episode on that like we had stated. Um, that'll have to come later. We'll, we'll certainly get to it. We're not going to pull a Black Widow or a um, uh, Shang Tsu and the Seven Rings or whatever that movie's called. <laughs> I don't even know what that movie's called. I'm so out of the Marvel loop with that stuff. It's called um, Not Doctor Strange. That's right. Yeah, Th- that's what it's called. It's it's waiting for Doctor Strange. Because <laughs> I certainly and, am. And and speaking of COVID, um, if you can't tell by my voice, um, I have finally gotten it. So COVID has struck home on the Blood and Mike Rum podcast. So it's another reason why we can't go see Spider Man. Unfortunately, it's actually a good thing we didn't because on Sunday we were going to go on Sunday and yeah, you were kind of were- coming down. Around got, yeah. that time. Monday is when I start, you know. Yeah, so it's a good thing. I dodged a bullet there. Luckily, it's pretty mild, but still. It's crazy, though. I mean, at a certain point, everybody's going to get it. I'm just trying to hold it off as long as possible till my kids are vaccinated. So It's becoming like uh, uh invasion of the body snatchers, you know. You're yeah. going to be po- poking your head out like at the end like... Oh, thank God, Martin. <laughs> and then I'm going to be Yeah. I mean, I'm fully uh, fully anticipating that some point in my life I will have it. Um, it's just it's just a waiting game of until my kids can get vaccinated. And then, you know, all right, we'll have to deal with life as it comes. But right now I'm avoiding it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it's come home for you. But uh, you've got the Omicron, so, and you you've been vaccinated, so it's not as bad as as it could be, and you've got mild symptoms, so we're thankful for that. Um, it's also a good thing we should say that we're podcasting remotely, so we don't do this together <laughs> <laughs> um, for good reason. In this case, uh, we do it remotely, so uh, we're we're adhering to all protocols and and ensuring that everybody stays as healthy as can, as possibly can be. So. Um, so in the new year, unfortunately for Martin in 2022, he's already contracted COVID, so it's not going to be a good year for him, obviously. Yeah, well, sign of the times. <laughs> yeah. But for anyone who's still skeptical about, like, why is this such a goddamn big deal, even though it's mild and such, like Omicron right now seems to be more mild, which still shouldn't make you uh, less uh, less weary. Um, but to give you pause, um, just... A month ago, when at my job, a whole basically my whole department got sick, except like me and like one other person, um, getting the rapid test and tested at like pharmacies was easy as can be. Not anymore. You can't find rapid tests anywhere. You can't get in for like a week. So by the time like you get in for like a testing, you mean your COVID's are bouts already probably going to be close to being done. So. Our healthcare system is not designed to handle this. So I was luckily thankful enough to have a friend that still had a rapid test lying around. So I would say right now, just, you know, just not even just out of health, but just out to save you the hassle of running around like, where the hell can I get tested? Just don't get sick. Yeah. Stay, mask up, stay ma- mask home. up and don't do anything, you know, extracurricular. Absolutely. And that's what I've pretty much been doing for the last two years. So no change for me in the near future. But um, so we just we thought like, you know, we didn't do Spider-Man, but we should still do something. Uh, We're coming up on our 200th episode and um, we didn't really have anything lined up besides like the theater stuff. 
um, Spider-Man and Scream. Um, so we, we had to kind of come up with something. So we took a week off um, and then we're back. And I had kind of picked one that I had interest in seeing Martin cover because I had seen it once before um, and, you know, I had enjoyed it enough where I thought it might be something interesting to cover for the show. Um, it was one that released back in 2014 and had, you know, somewhat of a, um, a, a I don't know, it, it, it had like a cult release. Like some people saw it, liked it. Others, you know, it kind of um, bypassed them. It wasn't a huge movie and probably for good reason. It's kind of an understated movie. Um, but the one that we decided to cover for this week's episode um, was Creep from 2014 starring Mark Duplass, um, written, directed, and also starring Patrick Bryce. Um, and Mar- I, I'm right in saying you haven't seen this, right, Martin? You, you'd no. never You had never no. heard of it, never seen it? Nope. Nope. Um, and, you know, again, like I said, it was kind of like this thing that, you know, it's, it's actually a Blumhouse movie. Um, but it kind of was one of those like under, um, advertised movies really didn't have much of a, um, you know, strong marketing or anything like that. I, I'm not even sure if it, I think it probably just released like to home video. I don't, I don't know that it actually had like a theatrical run or anything like that. So it's very indie, very low budget. As you can tell, um, it is a found footage type of movie. So it's, you know, it's all self shot, uh, with a camcorder. Um, and we've, I don't know, have we ever, have we done a found footage movie? Uh, no, we have not. Done I don't, one. I didn't think so. We've, we've never actually like, they were pretty prolific, um, around the mid two thousands, uh, late two thousands and into the, the 2010s, but we never really did a found footage movie. We talked about doing a couple of them, we talked about doing diary of the dead, um, but we've never actually done one. So I thought it would be interesting to take creep and talk about it. Um, something that we haven't really done before in the new year and kind of, to kind of go from there and, and see what everybody thought about it. Um, and, and I was really just interested in, in getting Martin's take on this and, um, you know, something that he's never really seen before. And, um, if I'm correct, you, you don't even really, when you watched the movie, did you recognize Mark Duplass there? Yes. Okay. I recognize him from uh, the league. Oh yeah, right. Yep. Like I said, he's been in things. Um, it bugged me for a while. I had to think about it. Like after I was looking, I'm like, oh my god, he's such a familiar looking son of a bitch. And then I looked up his like uh, filmography. I'm like, oh yeah, the league. He's I actually really watched it, but I, I do know, I do know about it. He's actually done quite a bit in like recent years. He he did. You know, like in the late 2010s, um, he's, he started to do quite a bit of, uh, you know, movies and, and uh, bit parts in like TV series. Um, I know he showed up quite a bit in like uh, a few different TV shows, um, The League being one of his most uh, um, famous ones. Um, but he was also in, you know, stuff like Mini Project and um, – he showed up in uh, a few other shows. He he does a lot of voiceovers too. Um, he does his own TV series, Room 104. And so, you know, the Duplass brothers, they've done a, a quite a few things. Creep was kind of like on the tail end of uh, you know, some of the things that he's done. It's, it's more of an indie project. Um, and it's an interesting one because – you know, it's it's a psychological movie, um, and I, I guess I don't really know where to start with it. So I don't know. We've been we've been talking for about ten minutes. So uh, we'll we before we get into like any of the nitty gritty about creep, let's take a break quickly and talk about what we have on the show for drinks because we don't have anything lined up um, specifically because of Martin's you know COVID and the. Uh, unpreparedness that we have for the show but what are you drinking today uh besides water um having a blue light for now hydrating it up i mean it's only like three percent alcohol (laughs) yeah exactly exactly it's fairly water basically drinking from lake erie itself absolutely so labat 
And because the Bills clinched a, another playoff, go Bills. That's Ooh, right. This. I nothing, ha- no, nothing too extravagant. No. Well, that's to be expected. You're <laughs> you're hydrating. You're remaining nice and full of water and keeping those fluids in. I am drinking, or I was drinking. I finished it now. I was drinking a double, four fingers, I would say, of um, Kojiki whiskey, uh, which is a Japanese-style whiskey. You just um, made that name up. No, no. That's the real one. Kojiki, look it up. It's a Japanese whiskey. It is uh, very light. So generally, whiskeys tend to have that nice brown liquor color. This Kojiki has a very, very um, mild, almost clear tint to it. And it is um, more of like a – it's almost like a sake in the flavoring. Very um, rice wine-esque, very light, almost citrusy. Um, It's a very, very good Japanese whiskey. Um, if you're expecting something like a bourbon or a scotch, this is not that. Uh, it's certainly a, a specific type of whiskey that you would want uh, in certain circumstances. So I wouldn't – like if you're really looking down to get uh, a bourbon or something like that, um, Kojiki's not going to give you that bourbon taste. But if you're looking for a nice, mild, different flavored whiskey – um, Japanese whiskeys are really um, interesting. They have a nice flavor profile to them. They sometimes come off as, like I said, like a sake almost or sometimes a vodka depending on how much you've watered down the whiskey. And um, I'm drinking it neat today, but I have had it watered down with a, a nice um, ice rock as well. And when you do that, it does come off more as like a, a colder vodka almost. Um so that's a, an interesting flavor profile that I encourage whiskey drinkers to check out if you know they're really accustomed to the stronger bourbons or um, you know those types of flavors. Um, this is a, a much lighter affair. Um, you can, I guess, you can technically drink more of it if you you know start to gulp it down because of the lightness. Um, it's still pretty heavy on alcohol content. I think it's probably like forty percent uh, at least, but. Um, it really has an, an interesting flavor to it that I would recommend. And and for you, Martin, too, actually, because you tend to have a problem with um, like stronger bourbon flavors because of your GERD and stuff like that. It kind of aggravates that. This may be something for you. It's kind of got a lighter flavor to it that doesn't aggravate the um, heartburn as much, the reflux. So it might be something for you to check out, too. I'd definitely be interested in trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly uh, – like I have sake as well and it, it definitely – they they have um, matching um, flavor profiles, but um, you know, it, obviously, sake has more of like a, um, a sweetness to it. Uh, a lot of times, paired with like a peach or you know a citrusy flavor, uh, the whiskey certainly does still taste like whiskey, but uh, with lighter notes to it. Never had sake before. Never even had like Japanese whiskey before. Oh yeah, either. I know it's becoming very. Uh, uh, popular i actually have a like a peach sake here at home um which i have occasionally you know not uh not every time um it is a sort of a special occasion type of drink i i wouldn't i don't normally turn to that as like if i'm gonna have something for the night um i don't normally turn to sake but it is in a a, a nice different taste to it florally um pairs well with chinese food or sushi if you partake so yeah. so yeah, we didn't have a special beer or anything on the show for today. We outdid ourselves during the Christmas season, but uh, I'm sure we'll have them for next time. So, um, you know, at least you get some whiskey talk today. Mm-hmm. A little different. Uh-huh. All right. So on to Creep. Like I said, I had seen Creep once before. Um, I knew you hadn't. And I was kind of interested in in covering the found footage genre because we really haven't uh, – there's lots going on in the found footage genre. And it's 
uh, it's a genre that is difficult to pull off because it requires um, some verisimilitude. It requires a lot of setup because there's got to be an explanation for the found footage element to it. You know, who is doing it? Why are they filming everything? Uh, how did it get, you know, like especially in a horror movie, how did it get um, obtained? You know, like do they make it out? Do they survive? There's all kinds of questions that are presented in the context of a found footage movie. And so it is – it might seem easy because it's so cheap to do. You just grab a camera. You know, you can even do it on your smartphone. Just grab it, grab your smartphone. Start shooting. But the verisimilitude of it, the cinema verite of it uh, requires uh, special attention. You can't just start filming things and improving, and your movie comes out like 85 minutes of boring stuff and 15 minutes of actual action. You're um, going to be banding about that word today, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so on that note, how do you feel creep manages the found footage element of its plot? I think it's well done. I think um, I've seen, you know, a couple of found footage films. I think it works really well here. Um, You know, the premise is simple. Um, Having, you know, a videographer be like a protagonist, you know, gives us, you know, a reason to have somebody who's going to be filming throughout the entire film. Um, And I think they do, you know, a good job at keeping it simple. They don't, like, try doing, like, a whole bunch of, you know, kind of, like, uh, stupid tricks like we see with, like, paranormal activity. Uh, yeah, I think, I, th- it wor- I think it works. Re- I, I, think it, I think the simplicity of it works makes it work very well. Yeah, I think the simplicity, like, that, that really, like, home video aspect to it does make it work quite well because there is no flashy tricks. There's no, like, cutaways or edits that are you know, in attempting to make real life look, um, you know, paranormal or supernatural. It's really just a guy who's filming another guy. Um, it's, it's super simple when it boils right down to it. And the, the way that we're given an establishing element to the found footage, um, you know, makes sense. It's not really, it's like not overdoing its, um, its storyline. It's, it's a guy who wants to film his life because he's got cancer and he wants to leave a video for his child. And that's pretty much the extent of what we get for background or context. Um, and then the rest of what comes about is really just what's on camera and what's shown. Um, and I think that what it does well is establish relationship between these two characters um, with Mark Duplass playing um, you know, the, the guy with cancer, um, Joseph. And with Patrick Price, who's on more of the filming side, literally also the director of the movie, um, you know, playing Aaron as the guy who's who's filming Joseph doing all of these things. And it sets this up really well to basically just be a slice of life story about what they're doing. Um, the one thing that I will say that Creep does is I think, you know, with the title, with the poster, with the artwork and everything – you're kind of already set up to know what's a what's going to happen. Like there isn't an idea of what will happen, what's going to happen, why Mark Duplass seems like he's kind of like a I don't know, like a mysterious character, uh, one with you know an, an odd sense of humor. Um, I will say that that almost seems like there's really nowhere to go but where the film goes. Did you feel like that? Like that, that you can't really like, there's no other mystery to what's happening. Like, you know, you know, you, 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 you kind of go into it understanding that, you know, the story of, of this guy who's filming another guy is not going to end. Well, it's kind of inherent in the, the idea of the movie. I think uh, – no, you're right because, again, these are literally the only two people we see throughout the film. So it's going to be you know the videographer and then the strange encounter that he encounter, you know person he encounters. But I think what – I mean I, I, th- I think 
the way they went with the film is fine, even though it's more, you know, kind of telegraphed. But I think the more interesting way would have got, gone is like the first 20 minutes of the film where we're just seeing Mark Duplass be a fucking we- a creep, a weirdo, essentially. Don't take it into like the slasher route. Just make him be a fucking creep. That's the film. Like, you know, like him, like, scaring and (laughs) just being, like, scary, creepy, and, like, kind of stalkery, but that, you know, don't have to, you know, turn it the way it was, because that would make it, you know, I I think that'd just be, like, more, like, a a more interesting, like, character piece, instead of, you know, trying to bring, like, uh, slasher elements to it, you know, it'd make for more, like, you know, just sturdier, like, psychological horror, like the as we say a thousand times on the show, what you don't see, you know, is more impactful than what we could ever be shown, you know, leave it to the mind. So if I think if at the end you left it to like, you know, at the end we have, you know, error in like, just being like, man, what a fucking weirdo. That was weird. You know, and let it linger on his mind. Like what the hell is that all about? I think would be more impactful than the route they went, but nevertheless, Still, a I think a well executed in the direction that they did go. What do you think about the the opening moments of the movie? Because, um, like I said, a lot of areas where found footage movies fail is that they have a really elongated opening that has to contextualize what's going on to the point where it becomes a burden on the movie to have to support forty five minutes of just you know backstory. Uh, and building character relationships. In Creep, I feel like we get a little bit more than that because immediately Mark Duplass has like this really dual personality. He is charming and has a an interesting outlook on life, especially when we know that he's dying of cancer is, is what he says. Um, and yet he also has this really odd – sense of humor where he's constantly wanting to scare Aaron, uh, like jumping out of, out of different areas, um, you know, bringing him to like this, this, uh, fountain of youth, which is like a, a healing pond, um, out in the middle of nowhere, just to show him the, the heart rock in the, uh, healing pond. Um, and you know, all of these things kind of add up as they start to, you know, build towards the conclusion of this movie where it's, you know, we're getting odder and odder. Um, Mark Duplass's character is, you know, clearly not in his right mind. And, you know, at a certain point you're kind of thinking like, well, you know, if I was diagnosed with cancer, I probably wouldn't be either. But I think that it has a really interesting way of, of building the relationship without having it um, feel bogged down with just like background or context. Um, did you find that like, did, did you like the characters? Was the, uh, development enough for you in that, you know, opening, well, I don't know, 45 minutes or so? Yeah. I, I, I think though, you know, it's, I mean, I think Aaron's more of uh definitely more of a blank slate. Like we don't really get to see much of him as a character. Cause even some of the things that we, you know, he reveals along the way aren't really anything, uh, too too big like all you know the things that he reveals about himself are very you know small and but i think you know mark duplass is joseph you know as you said like he's he's a whirlwind you know like one minute like he's hugging him like oh you know welcome you know it's gonna be great and then like trying to scare him and then hugging him again like oh you know and then taking him on his little adventure i think you know it's definitely his development is what matters. He's the driving force at, whereas, you know, Aaron, he's, you know, Patrick Bryce, he's us. We're, you know, just kind of the blank slate that's going along with the ride. Yeah. I would definitely say that I think Patrick Bryce is the weak link here. I mean, we've only got two people in the movie, so uh, there's, it's not like we're going to have, you know, a standout and a couple of people that are just doing okay. But I think Patrick Bryce he is not a great um, emoter. Like he doesn't have a lot of emotion, even when we might expect that he would. He's <laughs> like you said, blank slate. But I also would agree that he doesn't really have 
much reaction at all. He, he's kind of more like monotone, uh, where even reacting to some of the things that um, Joseph says, you know, like, uh, oh, I want to give you some money. And there's a check in your, your boot. And when he checks it, it's, it's almost like monotone. He's just like, there is? Oh, no, you don't have to do that. Like, I feel like that may be the weakest part of Creep is that we get a, a narrator that doesn't really react in the ways that, you know, uh, we would expect to probably react to that stuff. Um, I almost think it's a little too understated because you want it. You don't want it to be over the top right away, but you also don't want it to be too understated where it doesn't feel like our protagonist is um, feeling the danger of the situation either. And I think that maybe that's really the only misstep where Creep goes a little bit wrong. Um, if it had a little bit more emotion to its protagonist, that we might get even a little bit more intensity to the to the um, the tension that appears throughout the movie. Um you know, I just noticed that the monotone nature of our protagonist kind of limits how much um, suspense that we can get. But I think the film is suspenseful in some ways. Um, I really like, like, you know, all, all of the opening, probably like 30 minutes of just meeting Joseph and getting to know him and, and recognizing that he is a little bit of an eccentric character. You know, those are great and all. Um, the callbacks to like the acts that are at his at his cabin and things like that. Those, those work okay. Um, but they're clearly, you know, it's like Chekhov's gun. You know, we know that the ax is going to show up again because we're getting a lot of callbacks to that stuff. Um, but I think the most, um, probably the most effective piece is when we first see peach fuzz in the closet. And it's kind of like a, you know, like a real introduction to, to peach fuzz, the mask. And then later on, when we see Peach Fuzz again on Joseph, and he's got very exaggerated movements. It's like a very creepy, eerie scene of a man that's really just kind of lost his mind. <laughs> and you don't know uh, exactly what's running through his head at that point. Like that scene where he runs downstairs and it kind of like has like almost like a, a tantrum and runs downstairs and puts on Peach Fuzz. Uh, it's it's an interesting moment that um, works really well with the the found footage like first person shot because it, we're there we're we're also looking at uh, Joseph wearing peach fuzz. Um, I think it's you know it's it, it's more effective than just seeing it from like a third person perspective. And then we, you know like with peach fuzz too, you also get that the whole story of of him, you know, putting it on, breaking into his own house and then having sex with his wife, which is a, an interesting, um, you know, like element to creep because in that moment, we don't really get to see anything. It's all blacked out, you know, we, we, cause he's technically Aaron's not supposed to be filming this. Um, he just leaves the camera's audio on and turns off the video. Um, and we're hearing the story about, Joseph, you know, putting on peach fuzz because his wife is into animal bestiality. Who's, uh, you know, been been searching the internet for. I that I, that made me laugh my ass off a little bit. Like that your um, your internet's slow because of your browser history. Yeah, like uh, so I went and I looked and I saw horrible things: pornography, animal pornography, and I know it wasn't you know me. I so. Must have been, which at that point I kind of thought it might have been like he had like split personality type thing going on. Yep. They're going to go that route. Like, you know, like maybe the wife that he's thinking of is actually, you know, the split personality that he has, you know, but no, they didn't go that route. I just thought that whole part where he's telling that story was hilarious because do you think I, a- I, I can just imagine like you know how gobsmacked like aaron's like probably supposed to be looking like yeah like, as, he, as he's like explaining it, he's like yeah because we oh. don't we don't really get to see aaron's point of view on that like you know what is he thinking about this story does he believe it does he not believe it does he you know is he is he um is he offended by it because i mean do you do you 
So Joseph calls it rape. Does do you characterize it as rape? Does Aaron characterize it as rape that he broke into his own house and had sex with his own wife, um, who may or may not have known that it was him? It the story itself is is like definitely exaggerated and for good reason because it's made up. But you know, like I guess it's 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 open to interpretation of how you're supposed to feel about that story. Like you know. Are you supposed to feel like it's supposed to be funny, like you did? Is it supposed to be humorous? Is it supposed to be more chilling? Um, well, I, I, I let me rephrase it. I didn't think like the whole like rape note. It's the whole like my internet history. That's what's slowing my internet down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is funny that's what, because that's that's what made me laugh. Like, I've never oh, heard the- of your browser slowing down your internet just because you you have uh, a lot of stuff in the history. Maybe it's the cookies, all the cookies that you have saved. You know, you might want to delete that. Or maybe it's uh, all the spyware that you've gotten from yeah, from from all those sites. All yeah. those sites, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought that was – it's an interesting moment. I don't know how it's supposed to be taken. You know, comical, chilling, uh, a little bit of both. Uh, but I think it, it's it's an interesting moment because it, it really is one of the only times where we don't get to see anything. It's just black. Um, and I think that's another interesting part of Creep is that though a lot of the opening parts of the movie are pretty stagnant, you know, it's walking through woods and, and hiking. Playing in, the ba- playing in the bathtub. Yeah, playing in the tubby. Um, it's not too slow it's not you know it doesn't feel like it's moving glacially i think mark duplass does a lot of that himself you know he's he's actually a very um a persona that you're drawn to because it he has you know this i don't know just this sort of charisma um, yeah charisma that that draws you to him even though a lot of the stuff that's happening on screen is really not too interesting I think one thing it could benefit from it because, I mean, it is only 77 minutes. I think it could benefit more because, again, the whole idea of the film is it's supposed to be – his setup is I want to make a footage of, you know, a video for my son because I'm dying of cancer. I want to make a video for my son so when, you know, he gets to see this after I pass, like he can see what a day in the life is for my father. And it's – Starts off on that, and then it kind of meanders, like you know, for like the whole tubby time scene, which is you know very well done. But then it's like hiking, and you know, like oh they're hiking and they want to go out for lunch, and then all of a sudden it's dark. You know, I think if they invested more time, like spending like showing a little bit more, actually, I think would you know pay off to kind of. Continuing the realisticness of yeah, of making well, this movie, the realisticness, and then like you know, because for the most part, I think the the ease into like again, like he, that's where I think the film would benefit from giving you that tease. Like, is he really like off the deep end because he's got cancer? Is he really off the deep end? Is he a kid? Like you know, that's where like you know it would work better if you gave it more time and more scenes of like actually showing him like a day in the life because it starts off like that and then you got the hiking which they kind of tie into but don't really go that deep into and then when they get into the diner scene it's more like now we got you know mark you know kind of like you know putting these questions on to aaron instead of you know dragging it out yeah and that's what you know where it makes you know and they're exchanging these little secrets about each other, you know, to try to make it seem, you know, their relationship seem like it's becoming more intimate. If they had, like, more stuff building up to that, you know, it definitely, I think, like, the ease into it would work more. Because it it, it go, kind of goes from, like, zero to 60, real, even though he's a fucking all over the place to begin with. It does kind of feel zero to 60 from that transformation from... You know, when we go from the diner to, let's go upstairs and drink some whiskey, and just two guys having whiskey, and it's a treacherous drive down, and, you know, I raped my wife. <laughs> you know. Let me just drop that on you, too. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree. I think that you know it kind of does me enter from the original point of making the video. Um, you know, I think it makes sense in a way um, because it is kind of segmented into like most of it takes place on this one day. Um, but I think that creep does an interesting thing because ultimately it's not super surprising that the end of Aaron's visit to his cabin ends up with Mark Duplass's character, Joseph being a weird, weird guy that is really kind of, um, lost his mind and puts on peach fuzz in a slasher sort of way. And it kind of ends at that moment. And then we see another video of Mark Duplass carrying like three trash bags and digging a grave. And that is like sort of, instead of the film attempting to surprise you with who's the creep in this situation, it surprises you with the way that it transitions between different um, chapters of its story. Uh, Because in that scenario, it's really another video that Aaron has received, but you're thinking, Oh, Mark Duplass chopped up Aaron and you know, he's now burying him in the the backyard. Um, I think that's a really ingenious way of doing it because obviously you can't really hide the fact that one of these guys is going to be a creep. That's the whole intent of the movie. How are you going to, you know, keep that a secret for too long? Um, But instead you are, kind of playing with the audience and the found footage genre to be able to, um, you know, do different things with it and change the way that the viewer expects to be told a story. And they do that a couple times too. You know, it's not just the transition from the cabin to Aaron's apartment. Um, but it's the later transition as well of, footage that Aaron takes when he's going to meet with Joseph um, after he's been stalked for so long. Um, I, I think they do a really good job with, with tempering expectations with, ch- with change ups that you might not think about um, to keep the viewer on their toes instead of just, you know, a straightforward storyline. Um, but I think the, the real transition that that works really well is that's that moment from the cabin where you think like, Oh, well, you know, here it is. Here's the final confrontation between Joseph and Aaron to transitioning to Aaron's apartment where he's completely safe. And he's just like, yeah, that was a really weird night, but I made it out of the cabin and I went home and uh, now I'm, you know, just getting weird stuff from, from him. But uh, what did you think of once we get back to Aaron's apartment? Like, does the film lose its tension there? Does it gain suspense? Like, what do you think about like the more cat and mouse elements to it after it leaves the uh, um, the cabin? Um, I think it, that was a good turn. I definitely agree with that. I think you know because again, at the end, after we have the confrontation between the two, you think, okay, someone's gonna you know live and someone's gonna die. And then we get the footage of you know uh, Joseph, you know, looking like he's burying the remains of Aaron. But then to finally find out, like, oh, no, it, I'm home safe. He just sent this in the mail to me. You know, that's more unsettling. Like, the fact, like, that, like, he's back home now. He's trying not to think too much about it. But apparently, you know, Joseph found a way to track him down and found his, you know, his address and is sending him stuff now. You know, that makes it more unsettling. And then just, you know having Aaron trying to figure out, okay, what should I do? Should I report to the police? You know, what do I do? And as it kind of, you know, escalates from there, uh, it's pretty interesting. I think that was a good turn. I think that was definitely like a different way to play. Cause I think most would have, uh, most probably would have left it at the cabin and, you know, we wouldn't really have an aftermath like that. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you too, like a film like this where it's set so long in the cabin, it seems like, you know, okay, this is going to be our our entire setting. You know, like we're going to stick around in this one area and we're not going to leave this time frame. And I think because it's it's been so long in that time frame, it doesn't really – um 
you know, it, it, it doesn't seem to the viewer like we're ever going to leave the cabin. And then it does. And then you're kind of left with this, this uh, interesting feeling of like, oh, okay, now we have a different setting. And yet the, the threat is still there. Aaron is out. Aaron's a big dude. He's like probably over six feet tall. Um, and yet he's still being threatened by Mark Duplass's character from a distance. This time, instead of just, you know, being in vicinity, he's being stalked by him. He's getting weird, uh, videos. He's getting, uh, letters and packages. And uh, eventually Mark Duplass actually comes in and grabs his, his video camera and starts filming him during sleep. And I think that that adds another element to creep that we don't necessarily get when we're at the cabin is that there's, there's more of a, like a cat and mouse element to what Joseph's doing. It's not just like he just wants to, um, stalk this guy. He wants to really scare the crap out of him. He wants to, you know, get the, the feeling of being able to be powerful over someone else. Um, which I think works really well. And then later on, we also get to see that he not only likes to do this um, for his own, you know, visual cues, but he also likes to f- watch the videos of it too and relive it. Because at the end of the movie, he relives the elements of that he's shown us basically. And that kind of gets over the hump of where did this footage come from? Why are we seeing it? Um, because it's, it's actually filmed and it's intended for people to see it. Um, it's a, I think they do a really good job of circumventing some of the, the major issues that can impact why a found foot, why a found footage movie doesn't work very well sometimes because you have to answer all of these questions or else the viewer comes away from it thinking like it's not grounded in reality. I think creep does a really good job of making sure that it is grounded and explains all of the found footage um, pieces. Uh, so what did you think about that, like that um, scene where they meet in public and we're pretty much given a you know a audioless view of what's going to go down at the uh, the lake or pond or whatever that is park. I mean, I'm I'm fine with it, but I mean, I think it was kind of kind of lame at the end. Like that's how he ends up killing him. You wish that it it didn't have to come down to like so um so explicit like that, right? Yeah, like you know, like just sitting there, and as he's got you know sitting there with the peach fuzz mask on, sneaks up behind him, slowly raising the axe, and then just whacks him in the head and leaves. Yeah, I felt like it's, it was it was um I don't think it was as shocking as maybe intended. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's because we get such like a clear view of it or if it just th- seems like it's overdone. I think, I think they're what they're trying to get at. Cause that's where like, you know, at the end where, um, Mark Duplass is saying like, he's the most beautiful one that he's killed because he, at the end still believed he was a good guy willing to believe he wouldn't harm him, which I Agree to to some point, but I think they're also trying to get at some point, like maybe Aaron wanted to die. Like, you know, he was just kind of, you know, setting that up to like where, like, you know, like he didn't want to live at the end. Like, because they're kind of like hinting throughout the film that he's not happy with himself either. You know, when like, you know, you get little questions like Mark Duplass saying, like, oh, why'd you take this job? You know, and he's like, oh, because of the money. And he's like, oh. You have money problems? He's like, no, no, I don't have money. He's like, we all have money problems, you know. So there's like little things that, you know, get dropped throughout the film that they're trying to maybe sense that, like that he's also a not happy, but at the same time, I don't think there's like enough, like, again, there's like not enough there for that angle to kind of work. That's why if they were trying to like kind of put that in there, they that's why I would think the film would work better if they gave more time and more breadth to actually showing the what they were actually doing throughout the day, giving them more time to, you know, expound upon that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do like at the end, like how, like, you know, how, you know, Mark Duplass then turns this, you know, into 
his what his next con's going to do. We get to see the little library that he's got built up. You know, that's like a nice little touch at the end. But the whole like how that all transpires at the end on how he deals with Aaron, I think, is kind of a kind of a cop job. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like that it kind of loses its its steam at the end there with the with the killing. I wish that it was more um, suspenseful because I think it creep shows that it can be like that. I think that encounter in the cabin where you know. Joseph puts on peach fuzz, the peach fuzz mask and stands in front of the door like wordlessly. I think that's a really good moment. It's really tense. Uh, as the viewer, we're there because we're seeing that first person perspective. Once we get to the park where we're seeing more of like an omniscient perspective, um, it takes away, it takes us out of the, the proceedings. Like we're not really, we don't really feel there. We kind of feel like an onlooker. Um, it doesn't have the intensity. I think Creep could have pulled that off if it had if it had tried something else. I think I get what they were going for. It's like almost like a snuff film that we're watching, which should be somewhat um, disconcerting to people. But like we've seen it so much, I don't know. Maybe we're just desensitized. But um, I feel like it would have been more effective had it still been in that first person where we're getting like a surprise from Joseph that we weren't expecting. Um, it does feel like a cop out in some, some capacity. Uh, but then again, I like what it does after that, because it seems like that's where it's going to end, right? You think, all right, well, Aaron's dead. He's the guy that's been filming this. So that's it. Uh, that'll be the end of the movie. But then again, the film kind of, um, you know, throws out expectations. And now we are back to seeing Joseph who has been viewing this footage and gives us his own context about why he's doing this and then films himself bringing the video to his, his uh, closet full of videos that are like this, which seems like it's been going on for years and years of him doing sorts, these sorts of things, filming it and then keeping like a, you know, a vestige of it in his closet to, to remember it by. I think that's, that's a good ending to it. I just wish that the lead up to that and Aaron's killing had been a little bit more um, impressive. Like, what do you think about like the the ending where we see all of those videos? Like, some of them are VHS tapes, some of them are DVDs. You know, we get like tons of of like this is a a widespread serial killer. He's not just a guy that's been decided that he's going to do this one time with Aaron. It's been happening for a long time. I like that. That was like that was really cool. You know, getting to see that. You know, basically like as you said, like showing like he's been doing this for a long, long time. Only makes you wonder why his sister didn't, you know. <laughs> yeah, his sister was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He does this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, this is something that he does in his spare time. You um, should uh, probably leave. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. You, you just, <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like in Black Christmas where he says, John Saxon says, whatever you do, don't tell them why. Just get them to get out of the, the house. <laughs> and he's like, you need to leave, ma'am. And she's like, why? Why? Because he's in the house. And then all hell breaks <laughs> loose. It's it's great. It's just like just like that. Well, which I, I appreciated. And so this is interesting because I almost thought that you wouldn't really have enjoyed Creep that much. I thought you were going to find it maybe a little bit boring. Um and and I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it more than I thought you would. Yeah, I don't have a problem with found footage films. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was I was thinking. You know, I, that's why I thought it would be interesting to do because people take found footage films differently. Like I said, some people find the lead up to found footage films um, and the the chaos that ensues a little bit boring. You know, because it's. It's like it's a it's a medium like again I, like if it's well done like this film is then it's an enjoyable experience it's a e- very easy one though to muck up and fuck up though I mean it you know it takes precision to get down and if you're not you know precise then it's not going to be enjoyable yep you know I mean one of the, one of the found footage films I love. 
but I also hate it at the same time as Diary of the Dead just because of how fucking stupid it is. And, like, I can laugh with that one, but then, like, Paranormal Activity, meh, didn't really speak to me because I didn't think it was that well done. Blair Witch Project nowadays is, you know, a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. You know, that hasn't stayed the test of time. I mean, I haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust, so I couldn't tell you, you know, how that fares. But, I mean, I think if given the right, you know, given the right idea and sticking to it, you know, it definitely can work and be an enjoyable medium. And then again, like I said, and you said too, Mark Duplass carries the film. Because again, we only have a cast of two, which is interesting. I, I do like the fact that the film is limited to basically two locations, the cabin and then Aaron's apartment, and then we just have like our two characters. So I do like that. You know, so... I think they did uh, a really good job with not a lot here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a very understated movie, very uh, uh, low budget. Doesn't really require a lot of uh, a lot of effects or anything like that. And you know, they do a lot with it. Just two dudes drinking whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, we have to rate creep. So on a scale of um, zero to ten, uh, what do I want to do? On a scale of zero to ten VHS tapes that were recorded over Days of Our Lives, <laughs> <laughs> what would you give creep? <laughs> uh oh triggered the covid yes you did <laughs> um i give it an eight out of ten i think it's very um it's well done it's very enjoyable it's a nice brisk film um mark duplass carries the film um his eccentric and erratic acting is delightful i like the simplicity of the film it's a very simple concept um, very simply shot. They stick to it throughout the entire time. Um, as you said, takes kind of a predictable twist in direction, but it has enough going on to make it interesting. Um, I do think the film would benefit overall from maybe more time and maybe sticking more to the con- the original idea of why uh, Patrick Bryce is there in the first place to kind of give more context to the situation as it develops. But other than that, I think it's a well done film and very interesting. And I can't wait to watch the second one, see how that one turns out. Yeah. Um, I would give it an eight out of 10 as well. I agree. I think it's a, an interesting movie. It defies expectations at times. Um, and, and even so it does, you know, the, the ultimate storyline of it, it's, is really what you're expecting, but, but how you're given it, is um, what defies expectations. I think that's really interesting. Um, I think it has a lot of good ideas, um, a lot of good cinematography, despite being just a found footage movie. Um, you know, like the the way that they set up camera angles um, is realistic, yet still triggers some um, suspense. I think that's an interesting approach. I think the peach fuzz mask too is is uh, you know, eerie, even though it's just pretty much like a standard werewolf mask, it's still got like character to it, which I think is an interesting, um, uh, development in this movie. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those movies too, that sets up the ability to do like endless sequels. You know, you, you don't really need to end this. It literally doesn't end. Um, because we see how much Mark Duplass has done this before. So you can, you can have prequels. You can have, you know, you can have sequels. You, it doesn't need to end. Uh, I've never seen Creep Two, so like you, I'm interested in in what they do in that one. And I know a Creep Three is coming out as well, so they're continuing the storyline. And it's uh, kind of uh, interesting that such a, a low budget movie like this can can carry on and become a you know sort sort of a a series. All right, so that's our coverage of Creep. Uh, we are coming up on our 200th episode. So are we announcing what we're doing for it? Or are we just keeping it a secret? No, we can say now. All right. 
Well, get, get them all pumped up for. For our 200th episode, we thought we would continue the trend that we've been doing previously. And for our 100th episode, if you remember, we did the thing. Um, so for our 200th episode, and also commemorating our Halloween series that we did with John Carpenter, we thought we would do uh, something a little bit different, yet the same, and cover Escape from New York. Oh, I thought we were doing Control-Alt-Delete New York. <laughs> oh, oh, that IT humor. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's one of the first memes I have saved on my uh, phone right now. Oh, is, wow. Uh, huh, when Escape doesn't work, Control-Alt-Delete from New York. It's got a picture of Snake Plissken holding a keyboard up. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Escape from New York is... Uh, I. It's actually surprising to me that we've never done it before. Um, I know I watched it a while ago, um, and I I don't know. I have false memories of actually doing a, a show on it, but I guess we didn't. Um, but it's a good one to do because we've done lots of the other Carpenter movies before. Uh, we've done um, a lot of like action movies, Western movies. It's a, it's a good a, a combination of everything that we've done. Um, up until this point, so I think it's going to be a fun episode, fun 200th episode. Do we have a uh, fireworks plan? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in for the fireworks show. Oh, We've got uh, um, one of those big ones that fills the sky. So hopefully, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn from your war. Your <laughs> war. I think this is where Kurt Russell became a libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing too is um. He's st- he's still he's still character acting as Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> we um surprisingly too we have uh, Lee Van Cleef as a guest on the show. <laughs> he um he had to wake up for this one. <laughs> he had that whiskey too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, unfortunately, no Lee Van Cleef. But uh, we probably will have a segment of. Favorite Lee Van Cleef moments. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, that's right, too. We got Donald Pleasance on here. Mm-hmm. It's like a who's who. That's right. You got everything. Hey, I say a who's who of uh, people that we've done a billion films on the podcast. So, since we're doing Escape from New York, does that mean we have to do Escape from L.A. at some point? Never. Yeah, no, because we've already basically gone through all of Carpenter's filmography at this point. <laughs> If we're going to end up doing, like, Starman one of these days, why not, you know? Do. It's true. Escape from New York is is uh, 1,000 times better than Escape from L.A., but... How yeah. dare you? It is. It, it really is. I saw Escape from L.A. before, and I was like, you know, it's not terrible. When you were a kid... I was say, when you were a kid, and you played Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, did you... uh fanboy out when they introduce David Hayter as Solid Snake, but his uh, alias is Iroquois Pliskin. <laughs> I mean, uh, Escape from New York, or from, from Escape from L.A. is like one of those, it's definitely a Carpenter 90s movie. And that's pretty much all you can say about it. It's a Carpenter 90s movie. But yeah, so I get, we're doing that in two weeks, I think, right? Escape. No, next week. We're doing it next week? All right. Gonna ha- yeah, we have to, because then we got to do Scream right after. I don't know how we're going to do Scream, though, if I can't get to the theater. Uh, isn't HBO... It's probably going to be on HBO Max. Aren't, it doesn't... Isn't HBO... Doesn't Warner Brothers own Miramax? I don't know. We'll have to see. To see if I can get it. All right, so next week, we're doing Escape from New York. So tune in, because we've got our 200th episode to get through. It's going to be fun. Martin has a has a deep love of Escape from New York, and and I do as well. And it's going to be a combination, amalgamation of everything that we do on Blood and Black Rum podcast. It's a perfect mixture. You know what we should do? Which is that we should do all every episode of the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy that had a uh, hostile God on it, the Diedrich <laughs> Bader yep. uh, version of Snake Plissken. <laughs> All right, so you'll want to tune in for that for our 200th episode. 
So to do so, you can pretty much subscribe to us on any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, our home base at anchor.fm. Uh, I even post videos on YouTube. So if you want to like, you know, subscribe to our YouTube page, go for it. Um, but whatever you use for podcasting, subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can stay up to date with what we're posting. Uh, just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we have an email address at Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. Write to us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what you want us to see, um, what you want us to cover on the show, and we will see what we can do about that. And finally, you can donate to us on our Patreon page at Blood and Black Rum Podcast, or patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we will use any of that money for beer. So just keep that in mind. You're fueling our alcoholism. Um, but whatever you can donate is definitely appreciated. So thank you in advance for that. Uh, hopefully you tune in for our 200th episode next week as we do Escape from New York. Uh, and until then, take care. And feel better, Martin, with your COVID. Uh, I hope so. Pray for me. <laughs>